Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I am your legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Oh, not much, Pat. How you doing? Man, I'm doing great. I'm feeling good. I got my full voice back. Uh, well, pretty much. And uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, man. Um, we got a lot to talk about tonight. I know we do. We do. Let's let's dive right in. This is a slightly somber cast, though. Slightly somber cast. It's a it's a dark day in New England. Uh, it's a it's a rough patch, Pat. But yeah. you know, you have to let the other people win sometimes. Well, yeah, but there's still plenty of conspiracy <laughs> theorists out there who think that there's some kind of like the NFL wants the Patriots to win. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's pretty funny. It's funny. Um, well, as always, uh, we want to thank Hipsters of the Coast for bringing you guys Leaving a Legacy every Friday to your ears. Uh, you can check them out, hipstersofthecoast.com. Tons of content over there. Jerry, you haven't written an article over there in a while, huh? Nope. I was hoping people would forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just too busy, man. I, I know. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. But the, you know what? They have a stable of awesome writers over there who are constantly pumping out stuff. Uh, so you can check out all of their stuff over at hipstersofthecoast.com. You can also find us on the Top Decked app as well. It's my favorite app for uh, for looking up card names and uh, like getting pairings and stuff. The, the app's amazing. So if you haven't checked out the Top Decked app, you can find it on the App Store. Also, if you want to support the show directly, you can visit patreon.com slash legacy. You can support the show for as little as a buck an episode. We have some awesome rewards, sticker shoutouts, playmats. Uh, Jerry, have you given up on the beer steins, man? What's going on with those? Uh, busy, Pat. Busy. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I will. Um, yeah, I, we're basically back to square one with those, but yeah, that's all right. Well, back we'll, on that horse. We're, we're plugging along. We're plugging along. Those will be coming. Those will be coming. Um, awesome. So, uh, Jerry, we have an awesome guest on this week. I want to introduce our friend, Tom Hep. Tom, what's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot. We're really <laughs> depressed down here in Philadelphia too. Uh, just like you guys, <laughs> you're mourning the loss of the Patriots. I'm sure. I know. I know. Our brothers in arms down in Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, we're mourning the loss of you know no longer being zero Super Bowl town. So <laughs> I was talking to my friend from Philly, and this is before the Super Bowl. Actually, no, it was before even like the playoffs. And he was like, "Oh man, the Eagles—they're just going to lose in the playoffs." It's like, well, no, they. <laughs> They could go to the Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, but then they would just lose in the Super Bowl. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, they could go all the way. It's like, yeah, but even if they go all the way, they're just going to suck next year anyways. <laughs> like, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> well, in fairness, uh, I thought their season was over when Wentz got hurt as well, as did any reasonable person down here. Yeah, I mean, that's – I mean, that was an um, – what a, what a great story, man. Just a, a backup coming in, second stringer, and just taking a team to the Super Bowl and beating arguably one of the best teams that New England's had in the last few years. Um, just you, you, you know 15 years from now, this is going to be like a Disney heartwarming sports movie, and the Patriots are going to be made out to be like the evil sports empire. Like, like all right, like, so the Patriots, the Patriots are just the role of the evil empire for the last 15 years. Like, there's, there's no doubt about it. Like, there's so many comparisons of Tom, of uh, Bill Belichick and Darth Vader. Like, it's just, he's known as the hoodie, you know? So it's it's just it's just part of the, uh, it's part of the allure of the team. But to be honest, I man, like, like, the Super Bowl was awesome. I really enjoyed watching it. Like, obviously, you want your team to win. But I also love the city of Philadelphia. I, I actually don't. I don't hate the Eagles as a team, even though my second favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. 
Um, I don't hate the Eagles as a team. I'm happy to see uh, an awesome city like that get a victory. Unfortunately, the fans of Philadelphia have apparently burned the entire city to the ground, or so I was told. Like, the greased poles didn't do the job, I guess. I don't know. I love the pictures. It was like, if if the Eagles win the Super Bowl and then the city's on fire, and it's like, if the Eagles lose the Super Bowl, and it's the same, same photo. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, we only had, I think, three or four arrests. And that's actually pretty impressive. It was like, like one Wawa broke it into some idiots <laughs> fell through an awning, like, but a couple cars flipped, but it was kind of minor. <laughs> all things considering. So, that's like a, that's like a regular Sunday night in Philadelphia. Well, I mean, meanwhile at UMass Amherst, six people were arrested and 12 people went to the hospital. Exactly. <laughs> and the cops brought out the riot gear, <laughs> which I mean, I love me some zoom ass parties. I was going to yeah, say that... like, that sounds like a typical zoom ass night anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's a normal weekend for zoom ass. Uh, also, I like how we had a hard and fast rule. We weren't talking about the Super Bowl until the end of the cast. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get in. We we're going to get into the end. We want to. Yeah, yeah we're going to analyze the game at the end, Jerry. Of course, yeah. Oh, uh, we're doing the play-by-play. Well, yeah, you don't end. have that pulled up, Jerry. I'll send it over to you. We're doing. That's all right. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a six-hour cast, and uh... Uh, we're doing a play-by-play of the commercials as well, right? <laughs> uh, actually, I missed most of the commercials. That's like my. That's the least my like the part that least concerns me about the Super Bowl. There weren't that many great Super Bowl uh, commercials this year. I think the best one was uh, Peter Dinklage's uh, rap. Uh, yeah, I missed Doritos. that. Like, I saw it happening, but I wasn't listening. Yeah, that one was good. And then, like, the Jeep Jurassic Park one was good. Other than that, a lot of them were just really mediocre. Yeah, like the ha- the halftime show. Oh, now we're just getting into the Super Bowl. So, you know what? If everyone wants, <laughs> we're I'll going to time blast. Mark. I'll put a time mark in the, in the show notes if you want to skip past Super Bowl talk. <laughs> Or part of it, because it will come back at the end, I'm sure. Would you, would you like yeah. to transition to legacy real quick, Pat? Sure, sure. Let's do legacy. So speaking of Philadelphia, I believe we had an event in a casino just outside of Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> we did. Oh, so really? We had, we had the uh, the SCG Open there where they did uh, the team open, Tom, that you played in, right? Uh, Sort of, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of played in it. Okay, go on. I, t- I I took play. I was there. I played in a few rounds. Fun was had. <laughs> so we had the team construction event in Philly uh, that was taken down by uh, Dark Depths. Pretty interesting. Uh, not not piloted by Tom Hep though. No, not, not piloted by d- Tom Hep. Don't want to get people confused. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was no longer present on the tournament site when this happened. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Is this another top eight you walked away from, Tom, or is this one? Uh, No, that's a. Every time somebody reminds me of that, that's it. Just brings a smile into my face. (laughs) Have you ever heard that story, Jerry? No. What is the story? Oh, you got Tommy. I tell him the story. The story is great. Uh, I don't remember all the details, just the general pieces of it. I I wanted to go to a tournament. Don't listen. Don't start a story by saying you don't remember all of it. Just embellish. Look, you can lie. It's totally fine. Yeah, not my style. <laughs> we got we got fact checkers. We got fact checkers. So I went to a tournament up in um, uh, Tojit, up in Jersey. So it's maybe like an hour, hour and a half from here. So I gave myself, you know, I'm a traditional procrastinator. So I gave myself a good 15 minutes extra time to get there. <laughs> so I showed up a half an hour. I got there a half an hour late due to traffic. So they give me the option to enter the tournament with a round one loss. And there was enough people there to play five rounds. So five or six rounds, I forget exactly. So I was like, sure, I drove all the way up here. 
I'm going to play some Legacy, get some fun in. So I went out into the last round, but I assume my breakers are absolute trash because I didn't play in round one. And uh, I lose in the last round, so I guess it was six rounds. And I was looking at the tiebreakers, and I did the math, and I was like, well, I don't have a line at the top eight here, and I lost in the last round, so I'm going home. So I'm driving home, and two friends of mine text me, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm on the way home. And they're like, uh, you're in the eighth seed in the top eight. <laughs> so, so what ended up happening was two people that didn't have to play played. And it was really strange because they put tiebreakers up the round before. They had like a television screen that they put the tiebreakers up on. And the tiebreakers were all wrong because they had me as undefeated, essentially. Because wow. the, the whatever software they had didn't register right that I had a loss. Like it paired me right the entire day. I always got paired in the X1 bracket. But when they put the breakers up, it just didn't count my loss for whatever reason. So it had my breakers up. Basically, it gave me the full maximum points and put me in the first seed. So everyone thought the breakers were a slot further down. So two people that didn't have to play and could have drew in played. And one knocked the other one into ninth into the ninth seed and I split up into the eighth seed, but I wasn't there. So when they announced it, I wasn't there. They ended up giving it to the guy um, that ended up beating the player that would have been able to draw, beating someone that would have been able to draw. And it was crazy. So some random or some random player playing burn got into a top eight at X2 because, you know, everybody got shifted up a slot. So, so I didn't show up for the first round and I didn't show up for the top eight. (laughs) Too cool for school, Tom. Too cool for school. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty infuriating at the time, but it's hysterical and hindsight. <laughs> oh, man. Well, taking a look at Philly's top eight, uh, the Dark Depths list looks pretty standard. Uh, do you see anything of notice, Tom? Um, it looks like they added an extra discard spell. So they went up to nine discard spells. Um, down to the, oh, yeah. a lot of people max out on Pithing the only went down to three to add the extra discard. And they're actually up a land, too. Most of the uh, Turbo Depths are on 23 land. So it looks like they just jammed. Most people are boarding either like a, a Mishra's Factory or a Dryad Arbor in the sideboard as a card to bring in to fight off Diabolic Edict. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this person just jammed it right into the main deck as the 24th land. Is that just because you can? Well, I guess you can crop rotate for a factory too, right? So you can, but I mean, you're talking about you know nine or eleven tutors, depending on the version, mm-hmm. that can go get it. But you have to resolve that. And true, a lot of times edict decks, um, especially like the one or two edicts out of Delver, are running soft counters and counters, um, that it's not necessarily always possible to both set up your combo, resolve everything you need, and resolve another tutor to go get a get a dryad arbor so having six or seven fetches let's see how many this this guy only has four but I, but even so it's four uncounterable extra ways to go get the dryad arbor did, did you see this this two of this um what is this shadow more common right of consumption in the sideboard yeah, I don't like that. I've actually never seen this card before. It's a, it's I've been a, seeing it pop up, yeah. It's one in a black for a sorcery and has an additional cost. You sack a creature, and then right of consumption deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to target player, and you get life equal to the damage dealt this way. Yeah, this this it's, started way back in... Um, it's a black fling. Yeah, people, yeah, started, yeah. people started running this when top was still legal, 
Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what they were doing was they were jamming a Basaju into the sideboard and then some number of right of consumptions okay. with the idea with the idea that they would just jam the thing onto the table and cast an uncounterable right to kill miracles. And then it's also the argument is it's also good against some of the other tough matchups, whether that's death and taxes, death and taxes, lands and snaring bridge against, you know, mono red, stuff like that. Um, but I, I don't like the card at all. Yeah. My biggest problem with it is sorcery. And so much of the stuff you want to play around is instant speed. Well, no, no, a sack, like... sack is part of the cost. So if you make the token, you have priority during during your turn then you immediately oh so you can make token hold priority cast right of consumption Correct. yeah so so uh, it, okay it plays through it plays then. through like caracas and you know direct removal you know but obviously you kind of need to besage you because a lot of decks you're bringing it in against whether that would be miracles can counter can just straight counter and so you have to make it uncounterable um but the biggest problem i have with it is most of the decks that you really want it against all run swords to plowshares and their own creatures so the number of times I've seen miracles swords their own snapcaster mage or death and taxes swords their own mother of runes or some other random uh, creature to put themselves to twenty one or twenty two, and you hit them for twenty, <laughs> wasting you know your right of consumption, <laughs> your two lands and every other resource you use to force it through, and then you have to do it all over again somehow. Mm-hmm. Like that's I don't like it. I mean, I think it's fine in certain matchups like i think it's good in the lands matchup but you still have to fight through you still have to fight through all of their other disruptions to get it so like against death and taxes and lands you still have to work your way through the rishidian ports the waste the wastelands the ghost quarters all those kind of cards to get the to get the mary lash token period and then you need to have the right in a deck that has no way to search for the right like the most the most you have is one or two sylvan libraries in the black green version so it's hit or miss whether you're going to find it. You're going to, and this this deck has two copies of it, so it's kind of almost like an ancillary path as opposed to an actual plan post-board. Uh, also, they're not even running the Besaju, so they don't even get that benefit. So now you're taking a land-based combo that's one of its big strengths is it can't be counterspelled and adding a, another you know weak point where you can be disrupted by. I'm guessing, I mean, I've never talked to this person, but... Just off the top, I'm guessing he feels that with nine discard spells, you can force it through in certain matchups. Mm-hmm. And in certain matchups where it would be good, like the lands matchup, theoretically, you don't need a counter spell. So depending on how they're boarding and what the thought process is, I can understand why they would run it. I just, I think you can make those matchups winnable without going down that path. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so hit and miss. Like, how can you consistently get to that plan i've seen people run up to four copies of it if you're going that way at least you can hope to hit it more often but if you're just running two that seems that's not where i would want to be but i haven't tested a version with two so maybe it's better than i'm giving it credit for it's definitely a crowd-pleasing way to win a match (laughs) (laughs) i remember being in tournaments and like seeing someone like three three uh seats down for me winning with right of consumption and we're going oh Uh, it's so entertaining when it gets off. If it happens, it happens. I just have nightmares about like D&T connecting with a batter skull once or a jit once, and then suddenly you have to hit them and cast right or right twice, and uh, it just seems miserable. Yeah. Uh, moving down the list, Grixis Delver in second place uh, also looks pretty standard. Yeah, it's a very like... Uh... Vanilla, all the Grixis, Grixis Delver lists. 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Eldrazi aggro. Been seeing more and more Eldrazi lately. What's going on? Well, I, remember, uh, well this, remember, is, this, this is a team constructing. Yeah, exactly. This is, team a, event, I just realized, so, Steam. Yeah, this is an easy deck to put together. It's like, you know, 1300 bucks, probably closer to 1200 like, if you're able to, to barter a little bit. So it's pretty cheap to put together. Um, not a lot of uh, cards on here that aren't played in other formats. Um, like, the only legacy-specific ones are uh, the City of Traders, like, well, I guess, and also the Wasteland. Um and Caracas. So there's, there's, there's ancient tombs. All right, there's, there's mostly in the lands, but like a lot of the like the other you know, rest of the deck is played in modern as well. Um, it's an easy deck to put together, easy deck to pilot. That's uh, pretty linear, but it is like very much what we've seen so far. That wasn't too exciting. Um, I think it's just one of those decks that like if you're if you're the middle seat or you know you're the legacy seat of tournament, like running a chalice deck is always always good enough to get there. Sometimes you know so. Yeah, like, I mean, you're just going to get free wins off of turn one chalice a lot of the time, and that can be enough to bump your team yeah, into the finals. that's what I like about the deck so much. I mean, and also, like, we've seen a little bit of a resurgence of uh, Miracles. Not a resurgence so so much, but, like, we're seeing more Miracles around, so that, that deck does pretty well against Miracles. Um, I'm surprised they, they were able to wade through so many Grixis Delver decks because, like, Wasteland in general is not is, is t- a tough t- card for, for that deck to beat, um, but they might be just leaning heavily on the the uh, Sorcerer Spyglass in the sideboards, I'm not really sure. Chalice is also nasty against Delver. Yeah, it is. It is. Like, I mean, Grixis has, like, they have some cards that are able to, to blow it up. They they do have their own their own ancient grudges and whatnot. Um, uh, but a lot of time, a lot of times, too, it's like it's like the, the turn one Chalice or bust plan for Eldrazi Aggro, it feels like, you know, like, if you're able to get it turn one, they don't, it's like a force, will, you know, it's like a force check, you know, sometimes, so. It- I feel it's very reliant also on the coin flip. Like who goes first in that matchup yes. is a big deal. Oh, totally. Because yeah, because if they just like Delver having their dazes live yep. is just like lights out for Eldrazi. Yes, but Eldrazi just having the force check turn one uh, chalice can also just be game over. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like if Crix isn't able to get their death right uh, game on on uh, on the move like early in the game, like they're they have a tough time beating that. Like their Gurmag anglers get out class pretty quickly by Eldrazi Aggro. Like it doesn't really matter how many how many uh, young pyromancers they play. Like the tokens are just going to get trampled over a lot of times by and by uh, <clears throat> excuse me by uh, Reality Smashers. So yeah, it's a it's a tough deck. I think for for I think Grixis is a tougher deck for Eldrazi to beat just because Wasteland is so devastating. Mm-hmm. But again, I think you're right. Like if you're winning the coin flip in there, you you might be. You're not like not terrible shape, you know. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, I would expect Eldrazi to win like a like a 200 player event um, on its own. But like I think as a deck that can can like you said, like Chalice is so strong um, that can just be one seat out of three. I think it, it's a good choice for that. Yeah, which is why we see two copies of it in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, also two copies is Miracles. Yep. Uh, next third in a uh, f- third slash fourth place we have Miracles. Uh, three Jace, two Search Rascanta. Uh, win conditions are three Snapcaster. Yeah, no Monastery Mentor. Two Monastery Mentor in the sideboard, but. Game one, three Snapcaster, one Entreat the Angels, plus the Jaces as the win conditions. I love seeing Search for Ascant in these decks. I think it's... I love when a it's, a new card just becomes, like, standard tech in, in Legacy. I think it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's pretty much stock at this point. Mm-hmm. I very rarely see a deck not running Search for Ascant. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I don't blame them. Like I, I first got hooked on a search for Escanto when it was in the holiday cube and seeing it, you know, paired with some of the other most powerful cards in the history of magic. And it just like fitting with those. I'm like, okay, yeah, this can definitely see play in like, yeah, totally. Totally. Hey, you guys haven't lived until you've gotten to copy Escanto with Seth Espian stage. <laughs> <laughs> that is a blast. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, worth noting, I know we talked about this last week about this this constructed top eight, uh, but worth noting that the the fifth place Eldrazi Agro deck is actually twelve post. Oh, did they? Yeah, uh, it's yep. like the it's yeah, the post it one running like running Ulamog and all that stuff and and Ugin. Um, but again, still uh, turn one Chalice deck, you know. Right. Uh, this one, I mean, it is still kind of Eldrazi. Just instead of Eldrazi aggro, it's like big Eldrazi. Right, like they're going to ramp into Ulamog. They're going to ramp into Ugin. Um, but a lot of the creature package is the same. Like they're still playing the Mimics, the Endless Ones, the Matter Reshapers, the Reality Smashers, the Thought Knots here. So. Well, this list is interesting, though, because normally when you see the big Eldrazi decks, you're looking at like Grim Monoloth mm-hmm. some other artifact mana. This doesn't have that at all. No, like there's, they're not running like the main deck three ball or... Or anything like that. The creature base is identical mm-hmm. for as far as the big creatures go to the Eldrazi aggro. It's just got three random, four random slots that have the all's dust, the two all's dust, the one Ulamog and the one Ugin. Everything yeah. else is everything else is streamlined. So yeah. they just they just messed with the mana base a little bit to get the posts in there and mm-hmm. jammed a couple of the big spells, but everything else is identical. Yeah, because man, what it so what This is this is a stretch to get to Ulamog. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, 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 so they cut the Cavern of Souls, they cut the Mishra's Factories, and they cut the Wastelands in order to get the 12 posts. So, so they cut all their utility lands, basically. But you have no way to get to these lands. So nope. what can... what Natural draw. So with eight posts, I mean, what's the best you can hope for? Is two posts? Well, no, they have 12. They have 12 because they're running four Vesuva. Okay, so... Okay. So still, still eight of the double posts essentially, because the glimmer post is always going to be one. True, I have Ugin help. I have Ugin's help though. Eldrazi Temple both help as well. Like I guess actually, you know, I guess like thinking about it, Ulamog isn't that crazy to cast because if you're running eyes and you're running temples, those are both you know, those are both soul lands as well. Okay, well, but, Ugin casts for eight, and and four of the lands do nothing towards it. That's and, fair. Yeah, and that's the fair. temples are all ones, and the glimmer posts are all one. Ugin's are off to get to. Yeah, that's fair. I guess they can do it. They yeah, I mean... It, <laughs> well, it just, it just yeah. looks strange. I'm used to seeing Grim Monoliths and uh, other artifact men. And yeah, 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 and to be honest, like, on, um, I can... So Ugin does kind of kind of make me ha- scratch my head a little bit because I can remember playing this deck and um, trying to cast Endbringers, which are just six, and or uh, what's the one that exiles the top cards and is the lands... Uh crap. I can't remember. It doesn't really matter, but they're it's like another six drop or seven drop. And those are tough to get to, so I think eight is is even uh more of a stretch. That's a good point, Tom. Eight without the Eldrazi type. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like getting to seven is hard hard enough with uh with, with Eldrazi Temple and I have Ugin, and those are not helping with uh Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Uh the rest of the top eight was another pair of uh Grixis Delver decks. And again, these are both uh extremely similar, almost like almost the exact same. Like one's playing an extra, one's playing a pair of cabal therapies. The other one's playing some spell pierces, like or an extra spell pierce. It's nothing too, nothing too exciting. Um, 
There was the Legacy Classic, which we can talk about real quick. And I'll drop that in the show notes because I know I didn't uh, have that here. Well, let me put that in the show notes. You guys can take a look at this real quick. Um, Legacy Classic. We actually saw elves in the top eight, uh, piled up by our friend Emma Handy. Um, but we see Grixis Delver again here. Oh, Emma was on elves? Yeah, she was on elves. Um, but we Has have... she been playing elves for a while? I haven't... That's a good... I don't think I've ever seen her play that before. I don't know. I'll, I'll, to, I'll send her a message and find out. Um, but we have a kind of a cool top eight here with, with Tess, Lands, and Food Chain, and Bug Delver all in the top eight. Uh, cool. So, oh, look, Grixis Delver. Yeah, more Grixis Delver. <laughs> like, again, that's just like a mainstay of the, of, the, uh, of the format right now. I think it's, um, I don't know, I think it's one of the best decks that we have right now. I think it's yeah. it's that and representation. When yeah. when I was walking around the room, there was a lot of Delver. Really? So, yeah. It was just, I think it's just a really good deck. Besides that, a lot of people play that kind of deck, period. But mm-hmm. I, it, I'm just so, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say in a team format, too, it's another deck um, that people, it will be one of the first decks people pick up, I think. I, I think it's the de facto, hey, I don't know Legacy that well, but I'm a good player. Like, I want to win tournaments. I win modern tournaments. I'm in this team format for Legacy. What's the best deck for me to play? Like, most won't recommend Miracles because it's too difficult for a newer player, to like a skilled Magic player, but newer to Legacy to pick up. Whereas Grixis Delver, it's like, okay, you can outplay your opponents. Um, you are going to need to know some things about the format, but not to the extent of, you know, miracles. So I think it's just that slotted into the best deck in the format for people who want to spike a tournament to pick up. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What annoys me is I put down Sneak and Show on Magic Online because I was playing five rounds of Grixis Delver in every league I was playing in, and Grixis Delver just has such a good Sneak and Show matchup, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I'm like, all right, if I can't beat him, I'll join him. And I put together Grixis Delver online, and I enter a league, and I immediately play against uh, Mono Red Prison. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like like Mono Red Prison, uh, Lands, and then like two other just like nightmare, like chalice matchups that just destroy Grixis Delver. I'm like, where were all these decks when I was playing Sneak and Show? (laughs) can't can't win them all kids can't win them all <laughs> um but so grix is making up three spots in this in this top eight i think it's it's pretty much consistently putting at least two or three copies in every top eight we've been looking at yeah it's a shame we don't have enough information on tournaments to know exactly what percentages it was of the field before it started because it wouldn't surprise me if they're just kind of getting as many copies in there just because it's such a heavily played deck it's getting right like that in the heydays of like Rug Delver, where you would go to a tournament and at least forty percent of the room would be running Rug Delver, so of course top eights just look stacked with them. Yeah, so there's definitely an effect like that. I know I played it twice in six rounds, and it was all over the place. So, uh, but Emma was coming playing elves, coming in third. Uh, looks pretty stand. Ooh, actually, the Nissa Vital Force. I like that. Yeah, I think Nissa's a lot of Elves players are running it. They've kind of recognized how good it is. Yeah. But I like she's uh, taking a step back with some older Spice, uh, Rook Thar in the main. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is, <laughs> that's a hilarious card. Uh, my friend Josh, who's just getting into, well, he's been getting into Legacy probably about the last six months. 
uh, he was playing Red Black Reanimator, and after like one round in a tournament, he just comes up to me and goes, "Hey, have you have you ever heard of this card called Rurik Thar? <laughs> <laughs> it's like impossible for me to beat." <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it's like, because to get the like reanimation charm off, he has to do like 26 damage to himself in order to get the <laughs> Grizzle Brand in play. <laughs> so I, my uh, my first ever Legacy, first time I ever played Legacy was um, an uh, SCG Worcester. This was years, this was a few years ago, the first time I met you and Adrian, Jerry. And um, I, I remember last round I played against uh, a deck that was able to play Rorik Thar, and I was playing Burn, and I'm like, oh, I just can't beat you now. <laughs> like, that just uh, ends the game for me. So yeah, it's a it's a sweet card. Yeah, card. I, the first time I saw that card was about two years ago, and somebody actually hard cast it out of elves, and I I like glanced at it and I read it and I was like, oh well, I'm gonna take six on my crop rotation, so what? They're dead, and uh, then swung with Mary Lodge and they blocked with it. I was like, I've read right past reach. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that. You look at the picture of this thing. Yeah. The only thing I looked at in the card was okay, he has to attack me, and I, I take six. You know, for non-creature spells, this doesn't matter at all. He blocks and then untaps and swings back because of the oh. damage I did to myself. <laughs> uh tom i have the exact same story when i saw it my elves player played it against me and i had like delver in play so i'm like all right um i can't play any more spells but i have enough to kill him before he kills me on the crackback so i just attack in with delver he's like block like what do you mean it has reach yeah it's like this giant i can't even tell what it is it has two heads it's carrying an axe <laughs> no, it's it, it's not carrying an axe. Its hand is yeah, an oh, axe. That's, Bruce Campbell. To style. be honest, like if I ever have to die, like die and come back as an ogre, like I want my hand to be an axe. Like I don't think <laughs> you say that now, but that's so inconvenient. Can you imagine cutting your steak with that? Oh uh, yeah, I can actually. Be super easy. <laughs> actually, if I have two heads, I think we just both like grab some of the steak and just rip it in half, and that's probably how we'd go about doing that. See, this this is a flavor fail. If he was just carrying the axe, then I could believe he could. He just had. He's really strong. He could throw it into the air and hit the flying creature, and it would die. But he's just lumbering along on the ground with an axe hand. Like <laughs> maybe it shoots out of his arm. We don't know that. Could have some kind of what propulsion wanna... system there. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> what I want to know is why does this red green creature have vigilance? Like what the? Hell? Yeah, that's that's really strange, isn't it? Maybe because he has two heads. Like he, like if he's, you know, if he's tapped, if he's turned 90 degrees sideways, his other head's just facing forward. So it's basically like having vigilance, right? Well, it, I guess so. it works into the propulsion thing. If he, can shoot, <laughs> if he can shoot the axe, he doesn't have to do it. He can, he can stay back and defend as well. <laughs> and then the axe just like comes flying back to him. Like the, uh, the Tesla, the Tesla rock. Someone, someone needs to do like the, uh, the, he, he, he attack. He protect meme with throw 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 please. What? Someone who listens. What is that meme? I like, don't I know. See that and it's I, funny like, though. It's, it, like <laughs> there are a lot of memes that don't make sense. That I just like I can't even comprehend how something like that comes into existence. Yeah, like, honestly, like I used to be able to keep up with them, but there's just so many now. I just I just take them for being being clever or funny and and move on with my life. Like I can't do it anymore. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so yeah, that's Rurikthar. Um, oh, I do like she's also running uh two mind break trap in the sideboard. Yeah, pretty sweet. Uh, we're gonna skip over this Grixis Delver list because it's the same. Yep. Bug Delver. Bug Delver. Yeah. Uh, actually running. Wow, four Tarmogoyf. Have not seen you in a while, buddy. How's it going? 
<laughs> uh, so we got the four timer goyf. Um, he's running the discard package, so he's running uh, him to Torak uh, instead of something like Stifle, uh, which I think is pretty common for uh, the Bug Delver list mm, these days. Yeah. Also interesting is the two Liliana of the Last Hope, no copies of Liliana of the Veil. Yep, yep. they got one on the sideboard. Uh oh yep I saw the Jace but I yep okay one Liliana the Veil on the sideboard along with one Jace um for the more I think he brings those in for the more controlling matchups Liliana the Last um, Hope is doing work lately man yeah I I got one I need to get another one um then I also like running a single copy of Tomb Stalker that's nice yep no Gurmag anglers though yeah I I don't know why Tomb Stalker's just better I guess. Even though it's double black, like, um, I think he has it for the flying. Well, yeah, um, Tomb Stalker having flying is very useful. I, what I'm more surprised at is that he's running Tarmogoyf and Tomb Stalker instead of any number of Gurmag anglers and no true name nemesis. True. He's running Deathrite Shaman, but no true name. Yeah, like the turn two true name is seems like such a strong play out of Bug Delver, but. Yeah, I mean, I can see running the turn because there have been times where I'm like, okay, I can play this turn to uh, uh, true name nemesis, but I'd really, really like to ponder right here yeah. to make sure that I, you know, hit this thing that I need, mm-hmm. um, or like to get this, try and find a fetch land to kind of smooth my mana base out a bit more. Um, so I can definitely see the appeal of being able to, you know, play a Tarmogoyf and play a one drop or like uh, Fatal Push, uh, an opposing Delver. Um, or something like that. So it's it's an interesting choice. I wonder how it uh, played out for him. I mean, this is definitely a much more classic version of the deck. This is kind of what Bug Delver looked like before Gurmag Angler was printed. Mm-hmm. Other than that, nothing too spicy in the sideboard. No, up next, something we don't get uh, very often, Food Chain. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about this. Uh, the deck that we see um, occasionally, on, I'll see occasionally on uh, Magic Online, but I don't think I've played against Food Chain in paper, except for maybe just a couple times. Um, I didn't see anything too, like something that, that surprised me in the main deck, but I think it's just worth uh, worth touching on. Yeah, I mean, we see Eternal Scourge uh, has made a appearance in the deck. Uh, sometimes people just run the Mist Hall Griffins, but uh, the Eternal Scourge does give you a nice uh, way to ramp into it because you can go three for the Eternal Scourge into Mist Hall Griffin at four. Mm-hmm. Um, I do also like that they're running the Fierce Empath version. Yeah, I was going to say that. Fierce That's Empath. Yeah, so Fierce Empath is two and a green for a 1-1, one, one, but you basically get to play it for free with Food Chain. Um, when Fierce Empath enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost six or greater, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Um, so basically, they win with Emrakul. They use Food Chain, Exile, Mistal Griffin, or Eternal Scourge infinite times to make infinite mana, then cast Fierce Empath, uh, finding Emrakul, hard cast uh, Emrakul, take an extra turn. I mean, isn't this just a worse version of the uh, Walking Ballista? Yeah, because, I mean, you are relying on being able to connect with your attack step. Like, I don't see a way that this deck ever beats... Uh, oh, I guess they're running, the, they're running three Abrupt Decay for Ensnaring Bridge. Um, but, you know, that can definitely give the deck a big problem, whereas the Walking Ballista version um, can just fire through it. What, what's nice about it is that it, um, like, the Fierce Empath... A lot. Actually, no, because, I mean, they're just running three Walking Ballistas, 
instead of the two fearsome path one emmerich wolf. yeah i mean i guess the difference is i mean the bullets is definitely more useful earlier like you can, you right. can use it to get all sorts of things value off the table or anything that might be met jamming or messing you up but i guess i guess now that i'm looking at it you can actually tutor for the gurmag angler with the empath so maybe this is almost like a better backup win condition so if you don't have the combo path you can just straight up you're kind of running three gurmag anglers in the main deck in addition to everything else they can do with the emerald and whatnot so. yeah I mean, I definitely, it's a, it's definitely a choice. I mean, one of the strengths of this deck, you know, as a combo deck, this is weaker compared to other dedicated combo decks like uh, Storm or Sneak and Show, um, just because it, it isn't as reliable. Where this deck really shines is when you don't get your combo pieces, you can just still win as a respectable beatdown deck. Um, you know, you can get in with Del- uh, Deathrite Shaman, uh, Drains, uh, Baleful Strix, uh, can buy you a lot of time and chip away at your opponent. And then the real thing is just Mist Hollow Griffin is a 3-3 flying creature that never goes away. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like, it is so hard to deal. It's like, Swords of Plow shares it. Okay, recast it next turn. Uh, Lightning Bolt it. Okay, eat it with my Deathrite Shaman and then cast it again. It's like, you you are not dealing with a, with a Mist Hollow Griffin easily. So this deck can also just sometimes steal wins when the game sputters out and goes to top deck mode. And this deck just has so many ways to gain incremental advantage. Speaking of that, how about the two hostage takers in the sideboard? That's what I was going to say. Our favorite, our favorite pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Two hostage takers in the sideboard. That is some spice. Just stealing some creatures. Uh, I am at, I can imagine them playing against uh like sneak and show sneak and show show and tells in emmercool and they go hostage taker and then food chain off and then cast the emmercool <laughs> <laughs> it's like i got the mana <laughs> um but yeah oh also just to mention quickly with the beatdown plan is manipulate fate is insane card advantage if you think about it manipulate fate is one in a blue draw four cards because it's search oh, yeah, your library for fair. three. <laughs> yeah, search your library for three cards, remove them from the game, then shuffle your library, draw a card. So you draw a card off Manipulate Fate, and then you exile three Mist Holographin, <laughs> which are now essentially in your hand. <laughs> it's like Cobblade on steroids. They're very, very uh, slow. Yeah. <laughs> Slowest Cobblade no. ever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Uh, the sad thing is, is the deck is still kind of just pretty much a worse version of Aluren, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, Aluren's <laughs> just a, b- a better deck, I think. But still, like, they, it... they just operate... Yeah, I mean, it's Food Chain's an awesome deck, and if you want to run it, like, you can get wins. Obviously, this deck top aided. Um, and this was a, this was a single event. This was not team event. Right, this is 150 players in the, in the Classic on Sunday, so... Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the... Like, Food Chain is just kind of a worse version of Aluren and just that Aluren's more consistent in its game plans. Uh, but Food Chain is still just super sweet to play. So I went back and looked at that Elves list. Besides the Rorik Thar, she actually has Blood Moon in the sideboard, too. That's an old-school move out of Elves. Oh, I missed that, too. Yeah. Oh, man. That's funny, because Elves is one of those decks that some people will bring Blood Moon in for. Um, just getting it, uh, shutting off the guy's cradles. And especially if they're the black heavy version, running a lot of discard spells, turning off their bayous. Uh, cause 
Elves only runs two basic forests. <laughs> if you're bringing in, so, if you're bringing in Bloodmere to shut off this card, I think you've made a calculated mistake. <laughs> made a, yes. I'm not saying it's a good strategy, Tom. I'm just saying this is what people do. I mean, they run like usually three to four copies of a discard spell, maybe six if they really go it's, overload. Like it's not even it's not even starting off the discard though. It's just knowing that elves has a very high non-basic land count. Um, you know, they run two forests and three, oh, seven, uh, seven fetch lands. Um, so if they don't prioritize fetching their forest, you can really get them. Well, yeah, if they don't have a death right, a birch lore, a heritage druid, or any of their other cards. <laughs> I'm talking about playing a turn one, man. Turn one blood moons are no, go, go big or go. Turn home. one blood moon on a play, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, I guess. Still on the TB12 website, deciding what uh, to buy. All right, so I've, I've I got three fitted hats in my in my my cart right now. <laughs> I got this foam roller that I'm gonna use to sit on. I gotta figure out what else I need. <laughs> oh, I, I do need that. Maybe like I have like a food plan. I can just says eat Tom Brady's food. That's that's number nine: health and nutrition. Oh, thank God. Jesus. <laughs> uh, should, should we talk about the last two uh, last two decks in the list? <laughs> uh, lands and Tess. Um, yep. Got anything to say about it? No, them? not particularly. I don't. Uh, I didn't see anything <laughs> to that's really stuck out to me in either list. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lands is also running the Sylvan Safety there it is. sideboard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's a nice way to transition so our main topic, I suppose. Yeah, uh, well, real quick, anything in Tess? Nope, Tess looks pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, so there was actually a Channel Fireball 4K, too. Do you guys want to go over that real quick? This is 100, uh, this is 110 yeah. players. Man, a 4K for 110 players is pretty fucking good EV. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> we got, we, that's, like, close to what we get for, like, our 1K. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was a good tournament to go yeah, to. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bug Delver taking it down, and again, running uh, three Tarmogoyfs, two Tomb Stalkers. Wow. Tarmogoyf coming back. Yeah. Nice week for Tarmogoyf. Yep. Turbo Depths in second, though, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. Uh, this one running three is Sylvan Safekeeper in the main. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything else? Uh, two Ready Consumption again. Yep, and the Basaju again, which, which Tommy had mentioned. Some, some decks will use that as the Black Fling, right? So. Yeah, I don't think the other deck from the, uh, the team event actually had the Vesager, no. but yeah, that's, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's what I pointed out, that they were just relying on it. But like you said, you can hold priorities, so you don't really have to worry about it being countered. Or uh, not countered, um, interrupted. What? <laughs> you mean <laughs> because it's, you mean like for someone responding? Yes, someone responding to the, the sacrifice. Someone responding, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. that uh, This deck less so than the other one. That's the other thing they're doing is it takes up so many slots, like two to three here, but some people run up to four, that you really have to trim for other matchups to make room for it. So this guy, usually you see usually up to four answers to like a combo deck like Storm and other. usually see some combination of Thorns and Spears up to four. He's down to three. Surgical's usually three. He's down to two. So he's basically cutting cards that help in certain combo matchups and other matchups to squeeze that in. It's, I don't know. It's still not a, it's still not feeling it, but apparently it's working since multiple people are doing very well with it. 
<laughs> and the traditional blue and white of uh, Tom Brady. We have miracles in third place. <laughs> no, no, he's the Grixis Delver of the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I was more referring to the uniform, but yes. <laughs> Um, kind of looks normal. Uh, this one's running the monastery mentor and no, uh, uh, entreat the angels. Yeah. Uh, also no unexpectedly absent. We didn't mention that on the other two lists, but the other two lists were both running like, a, a, uh, like one, one or two, or two yeah. copies yeah. of unexpectedly absent, which let me tell you, it's so many hoops to jump through, but it's hilarious when you unexpectedly absent, uh, permanent and then predicted away. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the, like that's part of the um, the allure of that card, right? Right. That's like one of the big reasons people like to mm-hmm. run it. Uh, up next, homeboy sneaking show putting up results. Now is this? Uh, uh, let's pull it up. So this is just the. This is not the uh, sneaking show. Yeah, this is not the the wish list. Although they are running an intuition in the in the main board. Uh no, the regular list will run intuition. Oh really? Um, it's kind of surprising he's not running. This isn't. I I kind of feel the hybrid version is best, but he's actually just going straight out uh, traditional sneak and show, um, no omniscience, um, maxing out four sneak attack, four show and tell. He's running four. He's running a main deck Jace, which I don't know. How, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I I've been running main deck really? Jace. I like it. I mean, any deck that can play a turn two Jace yeah. pretty consistently should. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Jace just is real insane when you just can power him out super early and take over a game with him. Um, plus in some matchups, like how often are you able to? Like, okay. How often are you able to turn to Jace though? Like, it can't I be that often. To Jace, oh, all the time. I mean, you need blue. All you blue, need though. is like, a, you need a soul land and a lotus petal. Yeah, you just have soul lands. Man, and I feel like, like if I have turn to hands, Jace, I think I'd rather just play turn to sneak attack though. Well, if you don't have a creature in hand, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you'd rather have a useless enchantment that doesn't do anything instead of Jace. So about this website, TB12. <laughs> <laughs> that got real yeah, serious. No, I, guess, I, guess Sorry, I guess that's fair. I don't know. Like, if I have the option to play like a, like half my combo or play a card that isn't part of my combo whatsoever, I feel like playing half the combo is better than playing none of the combo, right? Although I, I, Jace... I, guess, I guess Jace does get you to it. Get you to the yeah, other Jace part, but gets you, you to the other. But right. it gets it you gets, to your comp. You know, but do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I feel like the the sneak attack seems seems better than the Jace. But I understand where you're coming from. I mean, the, like Jace is obviously a very powerful card, but it's also Jace's force bait, right? You know, there's been numerous times when I know my opponent has force of will, and I play Jace into force of will, so the next turn I can resolve show and tell or sneak attack. Right, right. It's a it's a must answer, man. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but instead of the unrichness, he's there. He's running one Simeon Spirit Guide, which I didn't really like when I saw it. It just felt kind of too dead. It really helps you. I can see it being very useful in a heavy uh, Grixis matchup mm-hmm. because it's great uh, days insurance. Oh, yeah, big time. But only a single copy. I feel that's just not going to come up that often. Um, and then you know two preordain. Uh, and a Flusterstorm. So three Spell Pierce, one Flusterstorm split, which is pretty normal. Uh, ah, he was doing so well. And I see in the sideboard four Leyline of Sanctity. <laughs> Stop fucking playing bad cards, people. Hey, man, he top eight. It can't be that bad, right? Uh, that's just because Sneak and Show's a great deck. <laughs> 
Card has I mean, beaten me. Card has beaten me more than once out of this deck when I've kept multiple I, discard spell hands. It happens. So I'm I'm friends with a lot of the Storm players, um, and they love sending me pictures of their Magic Online matches where they just beat uh, Sneak and Show with Leyline of Sanctity in play, and they just don't care. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's become it's become a meme just because it's like uh, I don't I don't want to get into it again. Yeah, we, we've gone over it so many times. I know. I know. <laughs> it's card disadvantage. It eats up your sideboard. It's just it's not worth it. <clears throat> You're actually but, dying uh, talking about this. Uh, it, it gives me phys- gives me physical pain. <laughs> um, up next, we got another copy of Bug Delver. Yep, yep. Bug Delver uh, and Tiff. We progressively got in fewer and fewer Tarmogoyfs, though. So the first one had four. The next one had three. And this one has two Tarmogoyfs. So <laughs> progressively going down in Tarmogoyfs, but we are still seeing the Tarmogoyfs pop up and... Also, Liliana Lost Hope has completely replaced Liliana of the Veil in all of these list main decks, and this one isn't running Liliana in the sideboard at all. Oh, you might not need to when you're running four copies of Diabolic Edict. Yeah, <laughs> going for that instant speed. Yeah, four copies of Diabolic Edict on the sideboard instead of any Lilianas, which this person was definitely afraid of Hexsteps. Yeah, they were afraid of something. Yeah. Kermag Anglers on the other side? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, running two Toxic Deluge, too. Uh, up next, we have Burn. Yeah, Burn I like this. Making an appearance. So I'm not going to lie. I've actually been thinking about putting Burn back together because this deck is sweet. Also, uh, oh man, I, I just like Burn as a deck. Schwartz Shrine of the Burning Rage. I've never heard of this card. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that they're running this. This is my this is my cube weakness. If I see this in Ooh, cube, I that's take it fucking, almost that, every time. All right. So, number one, that art is great. So, number so good job on the art. Uh, I, have, I have foil copies of them. They look gorgeous in foil. Uh, so, it's it's two mana for an artifact. At the, beginning of, at the beginning of your upkeep or whenever you cast a red spell, put a charge counter on Shrine of Burning Rage. And you can uh, pay three, tap it, sacrifice it. Shrine of Burning Rage deals damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target creature or player. That is that is sweet, actually. That is like great tech against a deck like Miracles. Hmm. I like that. That's like an uncountable yeah. burn spell. Right. You, you play it early, and for any game that goes long, it just picks up and up and up. That is um, icy. Yeah. I've, I have never seen it in a burn list before. I think it's hilarious that they're running it, but I love playing this card in cube because this card is just, it sits on the battlefield and it turns into a, just a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Well, can I tell you, like, cards that I love in this deck are, like, the four the four X Price of Progress. That that card is so good when we're seeing, like, our top decks are Bug Delver, Turbo Depth, Sneak and Show, Bug, like, uh, Rug Lands even. Like, you're seeing a lot of non-basics in these lists. Price of Progress is so potent against those lists. Price of Progress is terrible against Turbo Depths. Uh, fair. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that, I guess it's fair. Yeah, because you guys only have, like, two lands in play at a time, sure. So, but usually, still. Like, usually three max, and then they do yeah. things like you can crop away a land into a ghost quarter and ghost quarter away another land. Like, there's just so many ways to... I usually take between two and four damage off that spell at most. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Tom. Um, if they catch you, if they catch you in a like game, it, Tom, if they catch like you in a game with four lands in play, they probably burned you out. Yeah, that's fair. How do you feel like your burn matchup is in general? Like pretty good, just because you're so much, <laughs> you're so fast. Uh, 
I would say I could pull up my spreadsheet, but I think it's somewhere around 96 or 97 percent. Oh, no shit. Wow. Burn is it's not where burn wants to be. Yeah. Turbo depth is just turbo depth is about a turn or a half a turn, like full turn faster at least. Like, um, they, I, if turns to turn twos, burn can do literally nothing. Yeah. And then you're you're looking at the discard that's coming after the hand on top of that. It's just it's just faster. Um, I do like their one of uh, sandworm convergence the sideboard. Oh, the, I wanted to point so, that for out. the show and tell matchup. <laughs> <laughs> that is nice. Oh man, I saw that and just chuckled. <laughs> Six green green for an enchantment. Uh, but they're obviously never playing this card. Creatures with a flying can't attack you or planeswalkers you control. So shuts off like most of the sneak and show targets that, that are going to be playing against it. It's, also, it's not even that good, which is hilarious. That, I, but it's just so hilarious. You still get to create a green a green five five worm token at the end of at your end step. So at the beginning of your end step, which is pretty sweet. So it's eventually a, a win condition against that deck. But uh, but yeah, that seems like not great. I guess it's like a. It's the one of spicy 75th card in your list, right? Yeah, but the thing is, is like, so against the Cunning Wish version, it just legit does nothing. Cunning Wish doesn't need an attack step to win. And against the Sneak and Show version, <gasps> if they have Grizzlebrand out, they're drawing a bunch of cards, which means they're drawing an answer for Sandworm's conversions. I mean, I mean that's not necessarily fair. Unless you're casting Show and Tell on turn one or turn two. They're going to have done six to nine damage to you. So it's not like you can. Yeah, that's if true. you if they've done nine damage to you and you draw seven cards, you're just they could just fire blast you right out of the oh, game. Oh yeah. So that it depends on when when you get that down. That's what they yeah, get within a turn chain lightning. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sneaky bastard. <laughs> Um, I still don't think it's it's worth it just because it's straight dead against the Cunning Wish and it's only sometimes good against Sneak and Show. Um, but I mean, I guess it's still it. It's not even that useful against Reanimator because they have creatures to reanimate that don't have flying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's better more cute than good. But I mean, this person's also running Shrine of the uh, Burning Rage in their main deck, so that might just be their prerogative, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's totally fine. Uh, up next we have Death and Taxes. Is it the spicy one? No. <laughs> I'll no, hear just stop. Vi- no. <laughs> just vanilla. Actually, yeah. The spicy one is the the red white list we've been seeing. Yeah, that that list is up. pretty cool. Yeah, ET is uh one of the originators of it. Uh, and it runs like a Dire Fleet Captain, which is the red reverse Snapcaster Mage, where you can like play cards from your opponent's uh graveyard yeah i've seen um on cat yeah bill gallagher has been streaming with the, that deck a lot uh the last few yeah. weeks and he's done some fun things like lightning bolted uh his opponent i've seen people counterspell things out of the yard like violating that in as an instant uh, i actually legit had a dream about that card where a death and <laughs> where a death and taxes player viled that thing in in response to an end step marriage and cast my crop rotation for their uh, Caracas. <laughs> <laughs> These are the nightmares of Tom Hap. <laughs> yeah, I watch a Death and Taxes stream, and uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I like how your dream was, like, completely legal play. Like, if it was my dream, it would be like, oh, he goes for the library and pulls out an Emmercool and puts it into play. <laughs> Yeah, normally violent too. I'm worried about Revoker coming in and you know naming something to mess with the plan. And that's just that's just disheartening to imagine that happening. 
This is this is how you get good kids. You practice in your sleep. <laughs> uh, up next is Ruglands or Old Man Lands, as it's uh, often called. <laughs> uh, what are they running blue for? Um, is it actually Ruglands? Nope, just called Ruglands, but isn't actually. Oh, I guess they're running. They're running Academy Ruins. Academy Ruins for Engineered Explosives. Where are they getting blue, though? Mox Diamond plus Tropical Island in the fetches. Oh, there's the Tropical. Yeah, so one Tropical Island and then the Mox Diamond so it can set up Academy Ruins Engineered Explosive combo. And, of course, 90% of the format's going to let you copy Islands with Thespian Stage, too. <laughs> true, true. So I guess blue's not that hard. I'm just, I feel a bit let down. I thought this was going to be like traditional rug. Land. I mean, it's close. This I is... mean, all it's missing is intuition, right? Yeah, I guess so. Why would, so can I ask this a really dumb question? Like, is, is recurring engineered explosives that good? Uh, this deck? It is. If, if a deck will let you do it, it is very good. I mean, can, um, can Delver win through a recurring uh, crack on the one? That's. That's I fair. guess that's basically Gurmag or Bust or Burn Them Out, right? That's, yeah. that's basically what they're on at that point. And this deck has multiple Maze of this yeah. <laughs> on, top of, uh, <laughs> on top of the Punishing Fire engine. So yep. if yep. it's at all possible for, for the Delver matchup to get worse against lands, I think this is it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tyler's trap. I mean, there's some some decks just also just straight up lose that, like Death and Taxes straight up loses to it. Elves will straight up lose mm-hmm. to it. Like... As long as you, the problem with the combo is it's awkward. It's a lot of mana and it takes a lot of moving parts. But if you can get it set up, it is really good. Yeah, I mean, this deck can legit get it to five, too, like very easily. Right. It's got the th- three colors where the lands to start, plus copying other lands of your opponent, plus four mox diamonds. So it's three in its sleep, and then it can on, on occasion get to four and five as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's very intensive, and it requires you to have you know control of the game. But yeah, I, a lot of decks will just cave to that. Uh, also, running the Sylvan Safekeeper in the sideboard mm. looks like it's pretty much standard now for both versions of the deck. Because we saw one list of each one with one Sylvan Safekeeper. No, we've seen a couple. <laughs> we've seen a. I'm also referring also to last week too. Like pretty much all the lists we looked oh, at. I'm, last I'm going. Week I'm going to the you've inspired me uh worth saying just in the 4k on the top 16 there are two more turbo depth decks uh in 15th and 16th um a couple copies of ant another bug delver uh junk maverick miracles and then the two turbo depth decks that's pretty cool all right jerry of the placing lands decks 20 percent of them have one copy of safekeeper on the board <laughs> in what time frame <laughs> And what time uh, I believe this tracks two months, the last two months. It's it's hot off the presses. <laughs> let me see, let me see, like last two weeks, Jerry. Like, come on. <laughs> this is, oh. this is, this is actually, yeah. We gotta get the heartbeat of the meta, man. The heart. Only All right, the so this is this is a great way to segue into our main topic tonight, which we're already an hour, like in twenty minutes into the, <laughs> the cast. Super Bowl. Like, so I don't know how long this is gonna be for our main Definitely. topic, but. Um, so last week we talked about Sylvan Safekeeper or the inclusion of Sylvan Safekeeper and Black Green uh, Hex Steps. 
And, uh, you know, we had talked to Tom um, in our Leaving Legacy mod chat about whether he plays it because you play Bug Depths, Tom, and uh, whether you include it in your list. And you had said it's not something that you were interested in. Um, but, you know, we were kind of talking precast about it. And you think it's it's fine in black green, but in, in Bug Depths, you have a few more things you want to do with blue where you don't need to rely on Safekeeper as much. So, um, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, um, again, th- the main topic, which is when, like when you, when you're proficient with a deck, how do you know when to trim cards that newer players kind of lean on as a crutch versus when do you like play cards that you know as a more experienced player are going to help you be more consistent with a deck that aren't, that maybe you need a higher, that have a higher ceiling. Um, but also a like a lower floor. Does that make sense? <laughs> sure. I know that's a bit long of a rambling question, but like, all right. So, so, all right, Tom, you are very good with with bug depths. How do you decide like when is it time for you to to change like your 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 main board? Like, what do you need to see, and what are the kind of like the concessions you make when thinking about like the larger meta in general? That's just trial and error for the most part. I mean, I try to make it a point to as much as possible to think back of at least the interesting matches of things I could have done differently. I could have played out differently. If I won with a specific card, uh, would I have won anyway down the line if, uh, if I didn't have it or what cards are still sitting in my hand at the end of certain matchups. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just over time, you just, you just hone it down. It's like this card hasn't really been all that useful or I could have won 60% of the games that this card won me anyway. Um, with basically another card that's more flexible and useful in different spots. Then you just take it on a card-by-card basis, constantly tweak and change things. Even cards that you think are integral to the deck, I don't mind changing them out every once in a while just to give something else a try. Yeah, and you just, over time, you get to where you want to be. And then, of course, it's never-ending changing it um, because the meta is always changing around it. Mm. You know, like a year ago, I wouldn't have dreamed about running uh, a little over a year ago. I wouldn't have dreamed about running something like Mitra's Factory or Dryad Arbor because Diabolic Edict wasn't a card. It just right. wasn't used. It was basically nowhere. And, you know, the last six months or so, and especially now, it's all over the place. It's made its way into Delver. It's made its way into the pile decks. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a card you see on a regular basis. So you just keep making adjustments as people adjust around you. So that brings up kind of kind of two things that that I, I want to emphasize. I think you did a really good job of pointing them out. Is the first one is like getting the reps in, right? Like it's really tough to make metagame calls or understand how to uh, tweak your deck. And this seems a bit uh, a bit obvious, but you need to make sure that you're getting the reps in with your deck, right? That you're playing constantly, or at least talking to talking with people who are playing more than you to make those ch- kind of changes. Yeah, I think it's 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 everything you can. Like the more you the more you take in, the better. I mean, even we were just talking about the death and taxes stuff earlier. Even just watching a stream that yeah, you know, really has no. I'm not watching him play against hex steps. I'm watching him play against random decks. But mm-hmm. seeing how they sideboard, seeing the cards that are in their deck, seeing how they play, the lines they take, their thought process. You just you just become the more you can just increase your knowledge of everything that's going on. Um, you know, the better off you'll be. So mm-hmm. I just generally just try and take in as much as I can. And 
as often as possible and just keep going from there. I kind of lost track of what the question even was there. <laughs> well, just like just just um, you know, like I said, constantly getting the reps in, but also and the other part, the other thing that you had said, which I think is also really interesting, and Jerry, I'd like you to touch on this as well when we get to you, but um, flexibility, right? Like things like you had said, I wouldn't dream of running Mistress Factory or uh, um. Uh, Dryad Arbor in the main of my deck, but now it's kind of not not necessarily given, but something that's very powerful in the deck because of the presence of Diabolic Edict. So, like, do you feel like um, being flexible or open to changes in the main deck are important in that sense? Then, oh yeah, you have to adjust. I mean, because like Diabolic Edict specifically, like Delver was previously a very very good matchup, and it still is. Like, I was winning the overwhelming majority of the Delver matchups, and just every now and then, you know when your percentage drops 15 points or something like that over a month period, and you've noticed, you know, I'm getting hit with a one over two of Diabolic Edict out of their board, and it's just costing me games here and there. You know, how can you actually address that without really, while well, still maximizing the other slots in your deck? And then another matchup that was extremely favorable, the Pile matchup, you know, they're running, you know, they shift one into the main, and then they have, you know, two more in the board, so they're going up to two and three effects like that in addition to their normal tricks. And, you know, you're just losing games in favorable matchups that you weren't losing before. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, now for one card, I can literally shove one land into my sideboard, and it, it adds huge, huge percentages in multiple matchups. just makes all the sense in the world to do it. But there was never a reason to even consider it, so you just have to walk the path and start losing the things, or, you know, if you're really good, theorycraft it in advance, like, figure out what people are going to do and address the problem before it comes up, but mm. I'm not quite, uh, I'm not that smart, so <laughs> <laughs> I just go based on, uh, just go based on experience and take it from there, and a lot of the times you're wrong, and you just figure out how you're wrong over time. Like, I was very, very against Triad Arbor at first. Like one of the biggest, one of my biggest pet peeves with uh, Turbo Depths is how bad some of the lands are, especially the come to play tap lands. Mm-hmm. Like when you open an opening hand and you see Basic Forest, Sylvan Scrying, uh, or Sylvan Step, sorry, and Bazooka Bog. So Basic Forest and two off, two one color, one off color come to play tap lands in a deck yep. that wants to combo as early as possible. Generally, yeah, it's just you just want to shoot yourself. <laughs> so. You know, adding another land, or Dry Arbor, that essentially is a more or less a come to play tap line you can't use immediately, mm-hmm. is, is a big cost for a deck like that that's trying to threaten early. So I was running Mishra's Factory in the sideboard, and you just run into a matchup or two where every once in a while your tutor gets countered for it, or you don't have the extra tutor to go get it, and you lose a random game to a Diabolic Edict. Mm-hmm. And eventually you just have to go back to an idea that you didn't particularly like, dry at Arbor, and just because here's another land that's going to muck up opening hands that you just don't want to see. How many can you run before you're going to consistently see opening hands with either a step, a bog, or a dry at Arbor? And you just have to see if it's worth it and mess with it. And just based on the fact that that card's fetchable, uncounterable, fetch sort of stifle, it's going to come into play at instant speed in response to their edict generally when yep. it's a lot harder for them to do it. Like they're not going to, in the pile matchup, they're going to have to five up to K command the, you know, the dryad arbor in addition mm-hmm. to the edict they just cast. And sometimes it's snap edict because you took the edict right off the, right out of their hands. So they're not going to have yep. enough mana generally speaking to answer that card um, and answer what you're doing. So it's, you know, and I just tried it and 
it ended up not being a big enough cost to to not do it. So it's in the sideboard. So you're only bringing it in in a handful of matchups. Yeah. And in those matchups, the the benefit just outweighs the cost of seeing a bad hand here and there. So, so Jerry, I know we kind of talked about um, prior. This is a while ago. Um, some some sneaky show lists will run like a card like a Taxium Pro, right? Which we both discuss as being a little bit of a crutch in that list, um, where it's nice to be able to see your opponent's hand and kind of know uh, what their options are to disrupt your game plan. But what's a card that Sneaky Show runs in place of Gitaxian Probe? Is it is it more copies of Preordain or is it is it uh, something like Spell Pierce? What do you normally see in a list in place of you know, that would that Gitaxian Probe would would kind of push out? Um, I mean, that spot tends to be your flex mm-hmm. spots, which is why it's it's so important. Um, you're right. I mean, Gitaxian Probe in the Sneak and Show list does uh, act as a crutch. Um, a lot of people who are newer to the deck like it, which I think is fine uh, for people getting used to the deck. Uh, it really gives you a nice support system where it lets you be able to read situations and then double check your opponent's hand to see if it's actually okay and a good choice to go mm-hmm. off. Um, but the thing is with sneak and show, eventually you get to the point where you've been in those situations so many times you can just recognize them and you have a good idea of what's in your opponent's hand without having to look Mm. at it. And also the point where there is a lot of times with the deck where you just jam it. It doesn't matter what they have in their hands. You have to jam it now and hope they don't have it. Otherwise you're going to lose the game anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that spot, you know, Gitaxian probe essentially just replaces itself and costs you life. So it's okay it essentially turns your deck into a 56-card deck, but instead of something like that is where people like to run their slots like uh, they'll run their Jace the Mind Sculptors. They'll run their Intuition. Intuition is very good in the deck, uh, basically being able to tutor for whatever you need from your combo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll run things like Preordain, which is just a better cantrip. It smooths your draws like... Turn one, if I'm not running Cabal Therapies, turn one, I'd probably rather cast a uh, Preordain than a Gitaxian Probe, mm-hmm. just because being able to dig three cards compared to one uh, is just so that much more important for uh, a deck trying to assemble this, you know, 2-1-2 two, two combo. Um, so, you know, like like you said, it is it is kind of a crutch, but it's something that's important with learning the deck. And you know, I, like we said before, meta shift. I can see situations where maybe running uh, Gitaxian Probe uh, main deck is the right call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that's just kind of where it comes from from the sneak and show perspective. So like so, and one one thing that I think is also interesting. Um, and I know I've done it before myself is like my list is going to change depending on the size of the event that I'm going to, especially if I know like what well, like a well-known meta. For instance, if I go to play at um, gaming, et cetera, in Acton, I sort of know what decks I can expect to see there. Um, I'm not going to see a bunch of like uh, Grixis and check pile decks. Like it's not going to be 50 percent of the field because I know Zach's going to bring um, Mog Stompy and I know that Jerry's going to be playing Sneak and Show. And I know I know that there are some known quantities there. Um, how often, Tom, do you find like that your deck, that your list changes depending on the size of the event versus, you know, like a, an F&M versus a classic versus an open versus a GP? Or do you find that you're pretty, I mean, being like a, a combo deck like you are, do you feel like it's pretty uh, straightforward regardless of the size of the event that you go to? No, I think you can definitely metagame depending on what you expect. Um, me personally, I don't get the chance to go to very many paper events, so mm-hmm. there's no real no real uh, F&M or anything like that that I'm able to go to. So 
it's kind of just online play and the occasional tournament, which ends up usually being on the bigger side because those are the ones I, you know, make the effort to make the arrangements that I need to make to be able to get to them. Um, so I don't change it much, but you, you definitely can if you expect the field. But if you're going to ultimately play in the bigger events, I think you want to test your deck. as You, you want to keep it a certain way to get used to playing it. You don't want to be... I wouldn't want to turn my deck into something that's going to beat the decks that are at my local store. Yeah, just to win an FNM or something like that. I would want to get more practice in with the deck and get as proficient with it as possible mm -hmm. and test out my actual ideas for what could make it better as opposed to, you know, running a local, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jerry? How do you feel like you change your lists depending on the, on the size of the event? Or do you think that like you pretty much play the same 75 regardless? Um, I think Tom really nailed it as far as you want to practice with the version of the deck you want to be best mm -hmm. at. So if you want to win a GP, you better be playing your GP version of the deck. Um, what I do, though, is I pretty much just choose my what deck I'm going to play based on the size of my event. Like if I'm going to uh, like the FNM down the street for me that gets like 10 people. Uh, and it's pretty casual. I'm going to play something like Tin Fins where you can just ranch on people. Because <laughs> it's just like, I'm here to get wins. Yeah. Um, and then if I'm playing at like a 1K, like a regional 1K, uh, that's when I'll sleeve up something like Sneak and Show where it's like, okay, I can get some free wins. Um, I can uh, I'll play some games. And it's it's few enough rounds where I can just, uh, you know, get kind of lucky and uh, ride my way to the top eight. Uh, if I'm playing a large thing like uh, GP Seattle, uh, I'm going to play a deck that I want to kind of have the most control over, which is why I'd play something, you know, kind of like uh, the Bug Delver list. Um, just because the more rounds you're in, the more opportunities you have to make decisions and make the right decisions. It, it just increases your uh, chances of success over the entire mm -hmm. day. Um, so it's, you know, the fewer rounds there are, the more I'll just go for like, okay, I'm a gambling man. Uh, 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 let's see if I can win the coin flip four times in a row. But if I'm playing a 12 round event, I want to be able to play my way through those 12 rounds, uh, to kind of give myself the maximum advantage in each round to, uh, to make it to top eight. Mm -hmm. So Cherry's advice is to ruin little kids dreams at their first <laughs> FNM with turn one kill decks. <laughs> Like if they're crying, yeah, whereas Tom is like, right. "No, I'll just do it on turn two. It's fine." <laughs> it's, no. Yeah. See, that's that's a lie. If you make it on turn two, you're not attacking until turn three. Uh, that's like so. The the shop. So when I was, this was still when I was in like high school, I think. There was a shop down the street from my parents' house uh, that would have like quote unquote F and M's, where it's like. All right, guys, it's getting late. So for these last two rounds, uh, we're just going to do one game matches. Uh, no sideboards. Whoever just wins, uh, they win. And then, uh, you know, turn it in. <laughs> and it's like, um, like they still to this day, it's like you sign up for FNM and uh, entry includes two slices of pizza and a drink. It needs to be it needs to be first damage dealt, not one game. Yeah. That's how you do it. First damage dealt. Exactly. So just like not this is not. You know, even casual rules enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a two-headed giant tournament. So me and my friend Mike, I show up with tin fins, and he shows up with mono counterspell dot deck. 
It was just like a mono blue deck with ever every counter spell ever printed and like four Jace the Mind Sculptor just in case. <laughs> um, and we just would ranch through the entire tournament until we came across two people each playing. Uh, they were each playing Hive Mind. Nice. <laughs> yeah, on a serious note, though, it is definitely worth. There are different types of big events. So at the team event like they just had there's definitely consideration to using different sideboard cards or a couple of tweaks here and there just based on the expected field. Um, so not one size fits all. So it's definitely worth considering what you think is going to show up depending on the type of larger tournament. Yeah. I just feel metagaming for legacy events is so hard because there are just so many people that have their pet deck. So like if that's your local shop and you know, everyone there, like, okay, that, that works. But if you are, like, traveling to an event, like, say there's a 5K in New York and I'm driving out there for the weekend, I have no idea what meta I'm going to be finding myself in. It's true, but I would think for, like, a team event, say, you're going to see less of the crazy decks because you have to find teammates that are willing to play with you. So are you really going to team up with the uh, Enchantress guy or, you know, the person that's going to show up with their homebrew you know, five color slivers deck or something like that. I mean, if he's the only choice I got, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm saying so there's you, gonna be. You make it sound like there's a glut of legacy players <laughs> for people to choose from. It's like beggars can't be choosers, buddy. <laughs> Take it at at first but glance. I don't know that there's as much overlap with the competitive players. Like, if you're just a casual player that would just go to a legacy tournament because you love your Enchantress deck or you love your Dredge deck or whatever the case is, you know. A lot of the players in those tournaments might not even be legacy players. Like they're not all going to be legacy specialists. They could be three competitive people that just want to win the tournament, and they flip the coin, and whoever or whoever played legacy most or had the most success in legacy in the past picks up a, a random legacy deck or the legacy deck they're good with. Yeah, as opposed to going to like a one of the old SCG opens or classics where you could see anything consistently. For the first few rounds. <laughs> it's like, like I, I don't know the number of like when they used to have Eternal Weekend here in Philly and the Eternal Extravaganzas. Like every first round I've ever played is is generally something crazy, like Chantress yeah. or you know, Dredge and Burn, and you just have to you wait a, a good three to four rounds before you can start to expect to play the normal suspects. <laughs> And that, yeah, I remember those tournaments because God help you if you lost your first or second matchup, you might as well just scoop it up because you are in the wild, wild west for the rest of the day. <laughs> like starting off in like the X and one or X and two bracket, you're just seeing anything and everything. That's part of what makes the format great, but I don't necessarily think it's the same format when you're talking about a team event. Yeah. All right. I could see that. Mm. Awesome. All right. How do we feel about that? I feel like that was a good discussion. We really, really, really get to the bottom of Sylvan Safekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do you want to expand on it, Tom? Uh, I just thought it was funny that you made like, like there was this big intro to Sylvan Safekeeper. Like, well, oh, really gonna, we talked about this last week. Are we going to go into this big discussion? It's like we ended up talking about some random stuff. And... I thought this was the Super Bowl episode. This is, this Super is Bowl. a so. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. Pat has not gotten the main event yet. <laughs> uh, good. Do you feel fulfilled, Jerry? You feel satisfied? I mean, how do you, as the storyteller, feel you have presented it to me? Have I gone on the hero's journey? What? <laughs> <laughs> Read a book, Pat. 
Read a Jared, goddamn book. Jared. In case you feel any better about it, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Jerry, books, books are for nerds, Jerry. How many times do I have to tell you that? Dude, uh, just leave me alone. I'm over here with my almond milk. It's fine. Pat, I'll have you know that I'm an avid reader. <laughs> yeah, see, Tom yeah, reads. Tom's a nerd. That's fine. I like Tom. I don't like you, Jerry. <laughs> You're just upset because you can't read, and we're running in here. Damn it! You found it out. It's never too late to learn, but it's never too late to learn. C spot run. (laughs) Um. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, so the Patriots lost to uh, the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday, like in the Super Bowl. It was sad. It was sad. You know, I would have liked to see Tom get us so many Super Bowl rings that he can no longer fit them on one hand. You know, that would have been pretty cool to see, but uh, the, the Eagles played a good game. He's going to have one hand of rings and one hand of the amount of times he loses the Super Bowl. <laughs> By the time he's done this, uh, his career, got, you're probably right. He's got right. two more Super Bowl losses in him. Yeah. yeah. I, I <laughs> My friend who, who knows about football told me this interesting fact, and if there's anything I know about sports, it's interesting facts. But if the Patriots had won the Super Bowl, they would have tied it for the most wins ever. But instead, they now have the record for the most losses of any Super Bowl. Ever. No, I don't think they have the most losses because they only have what? Oh, they, they do have the most losses. Do they really? Yeah. They're tied, I think, with the Vikings or something like that. How many Super Bowls have they lost? Like six, six really? I, don't I thought think they've it's... only lost four. No, uh, this might have been their fifth loss. Uh, okay, maybe. Uh, I could be mistaken. I mean, they also have they also have the most – they're tied for the most wins or they have the – they're on the second tier of wins because I think both the Steelers have six wins and I think there's one other team that has six Super Bowl wins. It uh, is five. It is five losses, Pat. I can link you to the site that oh, has okay. uh, the Patriots' five Super Bowl losses ranked by painfulness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the, the Giants are like number one and number two. I, I can tell you that for a fact. Uh, actually, um, like – yeah, yeah, they had the Giants one that ruined your perfect season. As yeah, one. the David Tyree helmet catch was – that was a gut punch. But, the, I mean, that happens every Super Bowl. Like, uh, Wes um, – not Wes Welker, um, fucking uh, Julian Edelman had that insane catch last year against the Falcons. Like, the one that, like, looked like it bounced off the ground, but somehow the ball defied gravity. He was able to catch that in, amongst three defenders. That was insane. But, um, I don't know, man. The, the fucking Eagles, man, played their balls off that game. They played such a good game. Like, Nick Foles was so good. He, like, threw two touchdowns and also caught one. It was pretty – He threw three, Pat. Get it right. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, man, I mean, like, so – obviously, like, I was bummed the Patriots lost. Um, I knew they were going into a difficult uh, – like, a, playing a, a good team, a very tough team and a very athletic team. And – uh but like to be honest with you, like it, like it was, it was a bummer to see them lose. But the fact that like the game was like a legit game and like was still up for grabs even up to the last play, I think makes for like memorable experiences watching, like memorable Super Bowls. It was just a good Super Bowl like the entire time. So I don't know, man. I really enjoyed the game. Tom, Tom, you're obviously a, a Philly boy, and like you must have been going nuts down there. Yeah, I was having a heart attack. <laughs> so it was just one of those things where. I expected the I expected a much cleaner game. I guess is like it ended up being a great game and lots of scoring and stuff like that. But there were so many mistakes early on on both sides. Kickers missing extra points. Yeah, that was uh, crazy, you, right? You, you, you Holder dropped the ball. You know, Brady mm-hmm. dropped a pass. 
yeah, it was just a bunch of really weird little things that they don't normally do. The Patriots kicking a field goal in fourth of one. When do they do that? Like they normally yeah. go. That's yeah. like automatic. You go for that. Right. It's, it's like it's almost as if for whatever reason in the first half they were they were coaching scared, which is never how it plays out. Mm-hmm. So, and so some, some of your receivers are the one guy Cooks basically tried to like basically uh, leap a human being that was standing up straight and got <laughs> and got yeah. power bombed on the field. <laughs> Never seen that before. Like yeah. I don't know that I would have tried that. Like, <laughs> the guy's helmet went right into his uh, special area and then he got power bombed. <laughs> so, so so the next series he catches a pass and he starts running around in circles backwards. Yeah, and, and gets crushed. Yeah, like, that was a that was a, man. I I still feel like. Uh, so that that is well within the rules and obviously not not like a helmet to helmet the way like the rules are written, but I still feel like even when a when a runner is when when a when a receiver becomes a runner like they're they're it's no longer illegal to hit them helmet to helmet. I still think that should be illegal, man, because that was a like th- there is no way that his brain is like the same after that hit. That was rough. Yeah, I mean th- the problem with it is t- is twofold. One is he circled and then he circled again. Like yeah. to, run, to run backwards in any way in a professional football environment is suicide. Like, yes. you, were, oh, you were just you were just insane to do it. And he did it twice. Yeah. And then Jenkins, the guy that hit him, him first with his shoulder, and then it was yeah. the shoulder and then the head. Like yeah. there was no. It wasn't like a spear. No, no, no. Yeah, oh, he didn't absolutely. lead with it. So yeah, I mean if you're running backwards or sideways into a guy. Uh, I mean, that just is what it is. You, know, you have yeah. to have more awareness than that. Normally you see a receiver, they're more likely to jump onto the ground or basically dive towards someone and then get let themselves get tackled than they are to circle back once, much less twice. So yeah. he looked like he wanted to win the game on the spot. You know, I'm going to run yeah. in a different like direction. Trying to... and, yeah, try and go through everyone. And yeah. That's man, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, man. Like, So obviously like I played offensive line, defensive line in college and stuff, and – played for my whole life in those positions and I love watching the offensive lines and uh the Eagles offensive line just did like so much work against the Patriots. I mean, they really played like a phenomenal game. Like one of the coolest things is like watching like a toss left play that they'll run or like a give left and you'll see like the guard and center both pull and kick out. It's like those I mean those are to see a guard and backside uh oh sorry, backside guard and a center kick out on a on a, like a sweep like that is fucking impressive and something you don't really see in the nfl anymore because it requires like some serious speed and athleticism and man i gotta give it to him man they played a really really good game that offensive line yeah kelsey's the eagles center he's he's insane with that oh, so oh man he's, so he's by far the best at pulling i mean his his problem over the years has been he's a little on the small side generally mm-hmm. speaking and power wise he's a little undersized so he'll get against some teams i'll put like somebody that's 320 pounds in front of him yeah. and the patriots try to do that too they'll stick yeah. a really big guy directly in front of him and basically mess everything up like and push the pocket back so the quarterback mm-hmm. can't step up um but this year he apparently like put on extra weight and worked out a bunch so he was actually yeah. doing pretty good at that too but he was already ridiculous at the yeah uh, the pulling on the screens, on the stretch plays, on everything. Just like so. their, I mean, they were just firing all cylinders, man. Their footwork was like, when you watch an, a line like that and you see two guys pull and their footwork is exactly the way, like literally the way you drop in a textbook, like you could not walk through it more, more, you know, more effectively than that. It's just really cool to see. And, and uh, it was cool to see uh, uh, who's your running back that they, they picked up off the pats actually. No, yeah, Blunt it was really cool to see him win another Super Bowl. I, I like I like him as a runner. I really like him as a player, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good game, man. I, I don't I don't like uh, I don't dislike 
Philly at all, like as a team, even though I grew up as a Cowboys fan too. Um, I liked seeing them win, man. You guys have been in a lot of Super Bowls, and it was cool to see you guys take one home. Yeah, it was definitely unexpected. So how's yeah. everybody taking it up there? Are you getting a lot of uh, complaining over <laughs> the no, calls or the so coaching? Like, or? So honestly, I thought the game, like in general, per, I mean personally, was called really well. I liked that there wasn't a lot of flags. They let the guys mix it up. They let the guys play. Like there was a few like PIs like here and there. But in all, like it, when it was all said and done, like I thought the, the refs did a really good job. And no, I don't hear – I mean, honestly, if people start coming up to me and yapping their mouth about how the pages were done wrong, I would just turn away, like walk and turn away because I don't, I don't engage in that kind of discussion because, in all honesty, like I think the game was officiated just fine and I think it was, the game was played just fine. Like, uh, the, I think the Patriots just didn't play to their, didn't play their best, and I think the, I think the Eagles just played their asses off, and I think it was, uh, I think the better team definitely won that Super Bowl and it was really, it was cool to see, yeah. So you're 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 killing this. You don't, you don't know how know. to make. You know I, how to be, make this, I know I should be really salty you're about to it. Take, but... You're supposed to take the other side, and then we're supposed to have an argument. <laughs> you're just like being you're being magnanimous. Like yeah, it was a good game. They well, played okay, great. But, but... <laughs> I, I heard I heard reports that uh, Nick Foles sold his soul to the devil uh, in order to get listen, the win. Like that's that's what that's what they listen, said around the office. Hearing today. hearing about a backup take over for a starter. Like in the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl is an, a story that is near and dear to my heart, as our own uh, TB12 did that so many years ago. And uh, no, but to be honest with you, like I, I don't, man. To me, it's like I love football. Don't get me wrong, I fucking love the sport, and I, I played it for 11 years, and uh, and I I coach it now, and I'll be involved with that sport until the day I die. I love it. It's like it's definitely my number one passion, but. Like man, it's it's still a game, and like if you can't get enjoyment out of it, if you can't get love out of the game, like you're just you're you're in it for the wrong reasons. And and I can I can love a game when I see my favorite team lose, and I can love a game when I see them win. And and uh, I don't know, like I have friends in Philly who are really excited that the, the the Eagles won, and and I can I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. So I don't know, man. I I, I can't get too upset about it, man. It was a good game. It's not, and if they had gotten blown out, then I'd probably have a little different of an opinion. Only because like it, that's like a much less fun game to watch, but man, that game was great, man. He like it was that was so close to a touchdown at the end. Like, how can you ask for much more than that, man? I mean, that's that's life, right? That's living life for the right way. All right. So what I'm hearing is you want me to Facebook Live the parade for your enjoyment <laughs> because you love you love football so much. You would like to see the pure unbridled joy of Philadelphia Eagle fans celebrating. You know what? I would love to see you. I would love to see you celebrating, Tom, because I know you personally. I like you a lot. I'd love to see you celebrate. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a tip. I'm going to give you a tip because I've been to a bunch of Patriots parade when I was in college. And uh, the best thing to do is if you have like a camel backpack, you know, like the camel packs, you can fill that with like rum or vodka. And you just like slide that straw in your mouth and sip on that the entire parade. It's great. It's not like having an open container, so the cops you can't get in trouble with the cops. It's the best. Pat, our our starting right tackle uh, made a comment earlier in the year about buying everyone a beer if they win the Super Bowl. So oh, yeah. at some point along the line, when it became realistic, he got he came to an agreement with Bud Light, I think, and they're providing free beer. You're kidding me. That's yeah. amazing. They're actually setting up stations all over that's, the parade And that's supposedly, I think, one beer per person, but I don't know how you enforce that. <laughs> people are moving along the route. How would you know who got what? Unless you can, like, stamp their hand or something, maybe, I guess. But, yeah, the free beer. So, no, I don't have to. That can't end 
terribly in any such way. You know, that's that's I don't see anything going wrong with that. Ever. Well, <laughs> it's going to be interesting because they're they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like they already closed the schools for the day. Um, what, seriously, really? yeah, Philadelphia <laughs> schools are closed on Thursday. I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> not kidding. The, all of the, the public transportation, like I have to take a regional line down because there's no way I'm even going to attempt to drive into the city. Um, the regional lines are only going in one direction in the morning. Half the stops are closed, and then they're only going out of the city in the afternoon. So you, you literally can't get into the city other than to go to the parade, and they're only stopping at one station in the city each. <laughs> they, so, they are shutting the city down. Are, yeah. <laughs> People would flip a shit if they did that. Well, that, well, the, the thing is, the first year that's kind of what they did, but like, but it, it became so commonplace that they don't. I think they they don't go as big with the parades anymore as they yeah. used to. But like, that's awesome. I am disappointed. Our annual parade was canceled <laughs> this year due to weather. <laughs> it was it was raining, so they canceled the annual. You didn't parade. hear why it got canceled? Just, no. Giselle told her kid that they need to share. <laughs> that's what i was referencing earlier <laughs> no we need to share we didn't have any they were being nice that's amazing yo it was a teaching exactly. moment it was a teaching <laughs> moment she, so, she taught the value i saw a video on facebook the morning after she's waiting for like the elevator i guess wherever they whatever uh press box they were in or you know, club box they were in and somebody caught her on a phone and recorded her basically saying that her effing husband can't throw and catch the ball at the same time while dragging her kid by the arm towards the elevator. That's amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> so you mean she was just being a person? Something like that. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, well, well, I love it. I love it. Thank you for your generosity, Boston. We appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you think you guys are gonna have like the uh, the uh, the obvious quarterback controversy in the offseason now? Like, do you think no. they're gonna have to get rid of one of these guys? No, that, that, no? that's just that's just something people will make up. They've well, already. Like, I don't mean like. Well, you know what I mean. Like, do you think that one of these like, do you think that um, Foles is gonna like is he in, in a contract year this year or what? He is not. He's signed for next year. Signed for next year. Like, do you think that one of these guys like plays a season, like wants to get traded out to make some money, or what? what Supposedly, well, he said no in advance. He said he likes the situation. He's kind of like, you know, family is more important than career type of mindset. Is how is the impression I've got from listening to like interviews with him and things like that. But you know, winning a Super Bowl might change your mindset a little bit. So who knows? I mean, they have to trade him essentially if he's going anywhere. He's not starting over Wentz unless Wentz is hurt. That's mm-hmm. that's the only way. Like, there's just no way. Wentz was the best player in football, other than arguably <laughs> Brady. How is he not the starting quarterback on your team? Yeah, yeah. It's it just it's insane. Foles yeah. was people were basically calling him. He got ranked the worst quarterback in the playoffs. Really? Oh yeah, I mean, he probably was going into the playoffs, and he got roundly wrecked by basically anybody that wanted to talk about him based on yeah. how he played in the regular season. And he played okay in the first round, and then he had two really good games. Mm-hmm. So he, he's not Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. unless Wentz is, turns into RG three next year, and you know his knees <laughs> never recover, he's not the same player or something like that from the injury. That's the only yeah. way. 
uh, injury is the only way Foles is going to start for the Eagles again. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it was a it was, it was a, he played I mean, he played his balls off, man. He credit to him, he played a really good game. Yeah, I, I was kind of stunned. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. Well, good job to uh, the Eagles. Uh, everybody, obviously, Tom Brady missed out on his Super Bowl bonus, so you can shop uh, TB12.com and buy some $80 yoga mats and $30 snapbacks. and uh, $140 weighted vest. Yep. Uh, you ten, get the vibrating sphere. We're unsure if the sphere is insertable or not, but you can get a, a TB12 vibrating sphere for like a low, low price of $80. So uh, go 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 to his website and support the poor guy, you know? Maybe he'll get a Patreon going in the off season. I don't know. That would be amazing. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Before we get out of here, uh, let's get into our scoops in the top eight. Tom, I'm gonna let you lead us off. Uh, who are you scooping in the top eight this week? Uh, all of the people of Boston and the New England Patriots franchise for being nice enough to allow somebody else to win for once. It was very <laughs> generous, and we don't know what we would do without you. We would, we would just be ourselves and completely <laughs> miserable again but now you've made us happy we'll shut up for about 30 seconds <laughs> awesome awesome how about you jerry who are you scooping in this week uh i'm scooping in our friend uh turn one thought sees aaron uh for letting me know how much the modern pro tour spiked a bunch oh of really stuff. uh yeah so I picked up uh, like foil bedlam revelers for sneak and show a year ago, and I guess they have been showing up in modern. So they're like the regular uh, bedlam revelers are up to like ten dollars, and foils are going through the roof. So finance tip of the day, folks: pick up your Eldritch Moon because there's some money in nice. that. Uh, also, uh, this Saturday we have, are you going to go to the one K at Scholar? Uh, the one K I'm not gonna be able to go to, but I do have the, um, the one K at Etsy all locked up to go to. Awesome. Yeah. That was, uh, also what I was going to bring up. So yeah, this Saturday, one K at Scholars games, I'm going to hit that up. Uh, Kyle's running it. So it's, which is always a good time. And then week after that, uh, the 17th is gaming, et cetera, is one K, which if it's anything like last time, it's probably going to turn into a 2K, <laughs> uh, which I I think it will. I mean, th- they get numbers there every time they have a tournament. It's awesome. Nice. Nice. What about you, Tom? Uh, Tom already went. I'd go again. Going oh. against great. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's right. Jesus, that's right. Jerry. First. <laughs> I, I was listening. You were not listening. I guess I, could, I guess I could do a real one since my <laughs> first one was kind of a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Just troll central. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What? Go. No. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. <laughs> um. I guess I would like to thank you guys because every time we do this, it's a lot of fun, and uh, you guys were much better at uh, taking the football crap than I thought you would be. <laughs> <laughs> this don't worry. When I when I go downstairs, I'm gonna kick my cat around, so it's fine. Yeah, so. <laughs> And uh, and I guess Jeff Holland and Brandon, who I teamed with in the event, uh, who I hadn't spent five minutes with, never met in my life, um, just happened to catch them on uh, Leaving a Legacy page actually, nice. and uh, ended up being uh, ended up being a lot of fun. So, how did you like playing the team event overall? By the way, I meant to ask you. Uh, the team event was fun. It's so weird because you have it. It almost felt like 
from myself playing in the legacy event portion of it, it almost felt like a, like a moto league because mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you're playing and each round your opponent's records, totally random. It's not totally random, but it, it could be totally out of whack with how their team's doing. The team's winning two one each round. They could, they could literally be any record. Hmm. So you could be playing someone that's four and and their team's two and two and whatever. So you're not really, it's not really representative of how an individual is doing in the tournament. Yeah. Um, so that must be pretty swingy throughout the day then. Um, no, it's just interesting. You never really know. Like you could be playing somebody, somebody could be outstanding and their teammates are just doing a lot of losing or getting unlucky that day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or you could be doing really well and someone's getting carried by a couple of people. You just, you just don't know. So it's a little weird whenever you sit down and you're like, Oh, how are you doing today? And the person is like two to three matches off of their team match record. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. And for me personally, yeah. I feel kind of, I feel kind of bad for my teammates because I mean, I did fine in the legacy portion, so not like that way, but I have no knowledge at all anymore oh, of other, form- yeah. other formats. Yep. So with my deck, I was finishing my matches earlier, definitely earlier than the, the standard player. And, you know, I, I didn't have five words to chip into, like, what to play around or, you know, and other teams are, like, huddling around, especially, like, you know, we win the legacy match, but it was the modern match. And it's like mm-hmm. the standard player is still playing. Their whole team is basically like, oh, well, you have to think about this. You have to, you know, consider this. You know, this is a line you might want to take. And I'm like, yeah, those are your magic cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, helped in one area. You know, helped in the legacy area, but was totally useless as a uh, as an additional wheel. Yeah, man, I feel that like if I played in a team event, I would be the same way because legacy is the only format I have even or like remote knowledge of, and even that is is like suspect. So I'd be no help in any other format as well. That's it. That's an interesting dynamic that you have as a legacy specialist, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. If you're running late in the rounds, if you're running miracles or lands or something like that, you're probably not going to run into it. But I was finishing my matches fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I think I was only I finished last once. Um, so it's just one of those things. Yeah. yeah. So, so my teammates didn't really get to chime in on my games, and I didn't have anything to say on their games. So, <laughs> so what, it doesn't make for the – it was still fun because there's yeah. definitely something interesting about it being 1-1 and you know all coming down to the other match and everyone's huddled around. There's a little bit more tension than there is. Were were there any rounds where like your like, where like someone well I guess you said you you were only the last match once so obviously you had to win that one but like did it happen a lot of times where someone would be in the middle of their game and like the other players already finished and won so they didn't have to finish their game or do you still have to play it out? No, no, it was really weird. They do their scoring system as just all two O's for, oh, okay. some, for some reason, so it doesn't actually matter what happens in the third match. So, so, it's, so you it's, could it's be in the middle of a match and like just scoop up your cards because you guys won or lost already. Yeah, believe it or not, that's actually what happened with my uh, with my match where I was last. Huh. Uh, they, you know, it was um, we lost the modern and standard matches, and I was playing uh, game three mm-hmm. in my match, and they're like, "Yep, it's over." And like, <laughs> I looked across <laughs> at my opponent, and I was like, "Do you want to finish this?" You know, just. Just to finish it, and he said yeah. yeah. So we ended up playing it out. Oh, nice. It's good because I, you know, wanted to you know, see how it went. It was really interesting. It was really interesting. It's playing somehow playing against Tess. Um, we <laughs> finished last, and, yeah. <laughs> and ended up being really interesting. I ended up having to he to rest. He ended up dressing me off the top when the last card in my hand was a surgicals, and nothing relevant was in his graveyard other than a fetch. So I ended up surgicaling a fetch 
hitting the second copy of it in his hand and cut him off of red for a while. Oh, nice. Which was, was, was a pretty interesting game. So we played it out and took it seriously when we were playing out, but didn't mean anything. Yeah. But, yeah, it does. You can get into that spot where hmm. your match doesn't matter at all. Interesting. But oh. I liked it. I had fun. I would definitely do it again. Nice. Nice. I want there to be a team a team tournament coming close to us. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. We got we had a lot of tournaments up here. You guys want to you guys want to take the uh, train down? There's one in DC in May. In May? Yeah. Oh, is it is? It, but if it's modern, like I don't have any friends who play other formats. That's uh, the yeah, thing. Like a couple of months to put the word out. Yeah, but then it means I have to go see people and <laughs> maybe we'll we'll see we'll see. <laughs> um, all right, I'm gonna get my scoops done real quick because we're gonna. We need to get out of here fast if we can because we're running late. Um, I want to scoop in Nick Pinn, who is our newest patron, uh, newest patron this week. Nick, thanks so much for joining the uh, the Leaving Legacy family. We really appreciate your uh, support. And also, I just want to scoop you in, Tom. Man, thank you so much for for coming on and, and spending time with us and uh, giving us some insight. And uh, it's always great to have you on, man. That's no problems. Pleasure's all on this side of the table. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, Tom, I know you're on. Uh, Facebook, you you frequent the page or one of our mods in the League of Legacy page. Um, you don't do Twitter or anything like that, right? Or stream? Mm, I haven't streamed probably in close to a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if if someone wants to find you, they can they can find you in the Twitter page on the uh, the Facebook group, right? Yeah, they can find me in the Facebook group, the source, um, uh, Twitch. You know, basically the Gator Seven Seven everywhere. <laughs> so. Not hard to find. Awesome. Uh, you can find Jerry at JME3RD on Twitter. You can find me at Pat Ugle on Twitter, twitch.tv slash Pat when I stream. Uh, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, you find us on Hipsters. The, we have the Facebook group. And if you want to email the show, you can email leavinglegacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. Jerry, you have a die to roll, man? We got five. This is actually one of my favorite ones that's come up. Ben Mac Bordaka asks, why does John Avon suck at magic? Why? He only draws lands. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good one. I like that one a lot. <laughs> All right. All right, Jerry. Sweet. You guys still do a song on the way out? No, we do. We just do the uh, we do the jokes now because getting a song every week was becoming quite a hassle. If you have a request, Tom. I'd be happy to uh, to put it in for you. I think it's appropriate to play Dreams and Nightmares by uh, Meek Mills. <laughs> Ain't this what they've been waiting for? You got it, man. You got it. <laughs> you ready? Uh, uh. I used to pray for times like this, to rhyme like this, so I had to grind like that, to shine like this, in a matter of time I spent on some locked up shit in the back of the paddy wagon, cuffs locked on wrist. See my dreams unfold, nightmares come true It was time to marry the game and I said yeah I do If you want it you gotta see it with a clear eye view Got shorty she try and bless me like I said I chew Like a nigga sneeze, nigga please for them trick to squeeze I'm getting cream, never let them hoes get in between And what we started, little nigga but I'm lying hearted They love me when I was stuck and they hit it When I departed I go and get it regardless Draw like I'm an artist, no crawling, went straight to walking with foreigns in my garages are foreign, bitches menaging, fucking sucking and swallowing anything for a dollar, they tell me get him, I got him, I did it without an album, I did shit with Mariah, 
Love nigga, I'm on fire. Icy as a hockey ring, Philly nigga, I'm flyer. When I bought the Rolls Royce, they thought it was Leaf. Then I bought that new Ferrari, hey, the rest in peace. Hey, the rest in peace, rest in peace to the parking lot. Phantom so big, can't even fit in the parking spot. You ain't talking about my niggas, then what you talking about? Gangsta move in silence, nigga, and I don't talk a lot. I don't say a word. I don't say a word was on my ground and now I got what I deserve. Fuck nigga. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished. When I bought the ass tomorrow, y'all thought it was raining. Flexing on these niggas, I'm like Papa on the spinach. Double M, yeah, that's my T Rose. Hey, the captain, I'm lieutenant. I'm the type can of men casting grind like I'm broke. That Lambo, my new bitch, she'll ride like my ghost. I'm riding around my city with my hands strapped on my toes. Cause these niggas want me dead and I gotta make it back home. Cause my mama need that pill money, my son needs some milk. These niggas try to take my life, they fuck around, get killed. You fuck around, you fuck around, you fuck around, get smoked. Cause these Philly niggas I bought with me don't fuck around, no joke. No, all I know is murder. When it come to me, I got young niggas that's rolling, I got niggas throwing bees. I didn't did the DOA, I didn't did the KODs. Every time I'm in that bitch, I get to throwing 30 G's. But now I'm hanging out that drop head, I'm riding down no collar. They let my nigga earn back home, that young nigga be wildin'. We young niggas, we mobbin', like Batman and Wood Robin'. Miss Two Door Maybach, with my seat on reclining, I'm like, real nigga, what up? Real nigga, what up? If you ain't about that murder game, then pussy nigga, shut up. If you dip me in your rats, I get your pussy ass stuck up. When you touch down in my hood, know that tour life ain't good. Catch me down in MIA, that day he game on wood. With that puma life on my feet, like that little engine I could. Boy, I slide down in your block, bike on 12 o'clock. And they be throwing deuces on the same nigga they watch. And I'm the king of my city, cause I'm still calling them shots. And these lanes talking that bullshit, the same niggas that flop. I'm the same nigga from first to them that brace that lot. The same nigga that came up and I had to wait for my spot. And these niggas hating on me. Hoes waiting on me. Still on that hood shit. My Rolls Royce on E. They gon' remember me. I say remember me. So much money at your free turning your enemy. And when this beef I turn my enemies to memories. With them bricks they go for 40 ain't no 10 key. Hold up. Broke nigga turn rich. Love the game like Mitch. And if I leave you think dumb pretty hoes gon' still suck my dick. It was something about that Rollie when he first touched my wrist. Had me feeling like that dope boy when he first touched that brick. I'm gone.